Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. If you would take out your copy of God's Word and turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. As Baptists, this is a very profound piece of Scripture that St. John has put before us. Let me back up because there are not all Baptist denominations that believe this. We take it for granted because there are two great conventions that all Baptists have certain things in common, but there are actually surprisingly few. Only seven distinctive pieces of theology that unite us all. But this particular passage, as Jesus is, is trying to teach the people who have set themselves up as his enemy, he teaches us about the care of God for the human soul. Particularly the people who come as children of, of, of God. Now, something that I, I need to tell you really quickly, a bit of background information, so that we can understand what Jesus is talking about. Normally in city life in Judea, for the sake of protection, the cities are walled, and the houses are built next to each other in a certain direction so that the heat of the air will be tempered by a common breeze that will flow through the windows of the home. There are even porches built on the rooftop to take advantage of this. So instead of baking in the desert heat in your home, you can be outside under a rigged shade to enjoy some relief from the heat. But as an agrarian society, city life doesn't make for very good farming. So around these cities, they would collectively put together a small bit of pasture land that they would fence off for the sake of protecting their own flocks, and every family would probably keep a small flock, and they would call this place, this is what would we would call in English a sheepfold, a common group supporting many flocks where they would be protected overnight. And the village would get together, the city would get together, and they would pool the resources and they would hire a watchman or a series of watchmen whose job it would be to recognize the actual shepherd on site to make sure that no one stole sheep from another neighbor and to defend the place from wolves and from other predators and from thieves. So all that being said, this is what Jesus uses in their language, in their understanding. He's building a picture of the heavenly kingdom in terms that they should be able to recognize. But because of many of them who have hardened hearts, they can simply not grasp the truth of what he's saying. So, let's talk a little bit about other things regarding shepherds, just so that we're aware of it. First of all, the shepherd's job is to protect the flock, because over time, we have actually bred the natural defenses out of sheep. 
Many of you have probably images of, in, in, in your own heads of these giant cotton balls that just happen to walk. No horns and no sense. How many of you have ever had the, the questionable privilege of being around sheep? I'm sorry. They have, we have literally bred the defenses out of them to make them more tame. Not only that, but the reason that a shepherd was needed to guide the flock was because we've also kind of accidentally bred their own sense of direction out of them and a good deal of their own intelligence. Sheep are dumb. It was also the shepherd's job to provide nourishment for the flock because a lot of the grass in this area, again, we're talking about a desert land, a very arid land. They needed to find something that wasn't just sagebrush, so to speak, but actual green grass, grass like what we would from Kentucky call like fescue, uh, timothy, stuff that was rich in nutrients that would, uh, crimson clover was a big one back when we were raising horses, that would help to, to feed and to give nutrients to the animal. So they had to find a place where the sheep could get their hands on honest nutrition because sheep, when they're hungry enough, they'll eat anything. They're not as bad as goats per se, but if they founder on something, that how many of you have ever been around horses and have heard of a condition called founderfoot? They love the taste of clover, for instance. But if they founder on it, there are certain nutrients found in, that are not found in clover that they will uh, not be able to gain into their system and their hooves will start to disintegrate. Sheep are capable of eating just about any kind of grass that's before them if they're hungry enough. Just as we, spiritually speaking, if we don't get the spiritual nourishment of the Word of God into us, if we're not taught properly, if you don't, believe in, if, if you don't hold on to something, you'll believe in just about anything. You have to stand for something, I think the old saying goes. You have to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. This is part of the analogy that Jesus is coming up with. Another thing that is, is unique to sheep after all of this inbreeding that we've done for them over the centuries is that they require absolute peace to the point that if you bring them beside a brook or if you bring them beside a river, a shepherd will often have to dig a culvert out from the stream, make a pool out of it of still water because a sheep will not drink from a running stream. They require still waters. That's why in the psalm, uh, you lead me into the green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. You restoreth my soul. That's why. He has to ensure the peace among the flock because they will go dehydrated. They will not drink if they're frightened. So you can see, unfortunately, how this can sometimes resemble us. So the shepherd was also someone who was not only skilled in holding on to the sheep, it was interesting that when a shepherd would come to the sheepfold that would hold the common sheep of all the community, he would actually call them out by name and he would have spent so much time with the sheep that they would know him by sight, they would know him by smell, and they would know him by the sound of his voice. He would actually grow affectionate over them and name them one by one. We'll hear about that more in just a second. But a shepherd was very lightly equipped. He had to be mobile. 
He was usually also not a person who was a full-grown adult. He was usually the youngest, menialist son of the family. They had their rod, which is basically, in Scotland we would call them, a, uh, or in, in Ireland we would call them a shillelagh. It was the, the stick with the giant knob on the end of it that would, you would use to hit somebody. When we talk about a shepherd's staff, on the other hand, we talk about a very long walking stick with a crook at the end, where if a sheep got out of line or if he started wandering the path, you could hook him around and bring him back. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, they protect me, and they give me direction. And he would often have a sling in his kit, which is basically just a leather strap used to gra uh, you'd grab a smooth stone, lock it in, they'd whirl it around their heads, and launch it. And it, it could, to the right person, be a very, very deadly weapon. In fact, in Israel to this day, for tour demonstrations, they train people how to use these things. And they can do it with a great deal of proficiency. So there are several times that knowing what sheep are and how they behave, knowing how a shepherd has to be equipped, several of the heroes of the faith mentioned in the biblical text start out their lives being trained in how to, to navigate this world by being shepherds. Jacob, the person who would later become Israel, the person who was the father of the 12 tribes, he tended flocks for his uncle Laban. Joseph, his son, his, his favorite son, so to speak, before he became prime minister of Egypt, he tended flocks for his father. Moses spent 40 years tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro in the land of Midian before wandering in the wilderness with the Hebrews there for another 40 years. David, high king over Israel, was a shepherd boy. And Amos, the prophet, was a shepherd and a gardener, a fig farmer. So as we begin today's text, John chapter 10, starting with verse 1. When you get there in your copy of God's Word, say amen. As we read together, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Remember the culture that he's talking to here. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, He goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow because him. Because what? They know his voice. One of the scariest parts of the Sermon on the Mount come to mind. When a bunch of people who do not actually know Jesus will come to him, will say, well, we did all these things in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did all these good works in your name. But Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I, what? Never knew you. This is the same image Jesus is setting up. But the ones that hear, that know him, they follow him because they know his voice. Verse 5. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. The other people who cried out that they were the Messiah, the other false teachers of Israel, the other people who said, I know God, and yet did not, they were thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life, that they may have it to the full, or they might have life more abundantly. This is the ministry of the shepherd. This is what a shepherd does. He shelters the kingdom of God from the enemy. He gathers the people of God into one fold. To stand unified. Today we call that the cap, I glibly call it the capital C church. He protects and he nurtures the people of God. Paul himself picks up on this same analogy later on when he describes spiritual, the word of God being spiritual nourishment. And he grants the people of God a full, abundant life, meaning and purpose of call. You were not merely saved. As an act of mercy, you were saved with a purpose. You have a calling. If you are in Christ, there is something that God has specifically equipped you to do as a minister, as an ambassador, as a saint of the living God. You have a purpose and a call because you have Him as your Father. He also grants sustaining power of peace and joy, a peace that passes all understanding and a joy that sustains us through all life circumstances. He gives us a hope beyond this world's brokenness. Because we know at the end of the day, when our eyes close here on this side of eternity for the last time, they will open immediately in His presence. It's a hope that's all of ours. And He also grants us a life bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, the ministry of our shepherd is that He grants us protection from tolerance, from acceptance, from rationalization, from sin, so that we may bear his ambassadorship fully. He protects us, in other words, from false teachers. They will not follow this other person because they do not know his voice. He will guide the flock in fullness of life by helping us to maintain a closeness in our relationship with God. He will nourish the flock through spiritual growth, through the whole counsel of God, the Holy Spirit of God in tandem with the Holy Word of God. And He will assure the peace of the flock by, by attacking us, or excuse me, defending us against the attacks of the enemy that has set His sights to destroy us. If you ever want to think about, if you have doubts that you have potential for the kingdom of God, if you have doubts that you're doing something good, if you are being under attack by something spiritually, that's a pretty good indication that there's something about you that the enemy doesn't like. And if the enemy doesn't like you, then you're in good company. Take heart, because he who is within you is by far greater than Hood. He who is within the world. And your defender will defend you. I am the good shepherd, Jesus tells us. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, and he does not own the sheep. 
So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I what? I lay down my life for the sheep. God loves you with an overwhelming love. Many of us today, we, we, we saw the movie and scratched our head at the title of the Passion of the Christ. That's a very old word. And in modern parlance, it's come to mean something far and away beyond what it originally meant. If you want to write this down in your notes, passion is a love that endures suffering. Passion is a love capable of enduring suffering. That's what it actually means. Jesus is telling us in no certain terms here that he loves you as his sheep with such a profound and passionate love that he is more than willing of his own volition to lay down his life. I have other sheep that are still not of the sheep pen. Gentiles, this is all of us. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. They still had no idea what he was talking about. This is a foreshadow of what we would, be, what we would come to celebrate on resurrection morning. No one takes it from me. We were just talking about this downstairs in Sunday school. Jesus was in control all the way from the, from, from the Garden of Gethsemane all the way to the cross and all the way to the empty tomb. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus' crucifixion was not a tragedy. It was an accomplishment. For without that, what he's saying here is what happened on Calvary. He did it voluntarily. He endured it for you. He endured it for all of us to win his bride, the church, to rescue the perishing, to redeem the lost, and to make sure that through his blood we have everlasting life. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But the others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? His words are starting to catch people's attention. His truth is starting to get noticed. Something that would eventually culminate in what we call Palm Sunday. Then at the festival of dedication, if you want to write this down too, a bit of trivia, what they're talking about here is Hanukkah, the festival of lights. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus, Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, then tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you. But you did not believe. 
The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep will listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one would snatch, will snatch them out of my hand. A Kentucky Christian, there was one of my professors that didn't believe once saved, always saved, that called this the Baptist verse. Highlight or underline this in your copy of God's Word right now. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall what? Never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. This is the boast of the shepherd to the Father. This is the boast of Jesus Christ to, the, to God himself, to the king of this universe, that of all of the sheep that the king has given his servant Christ, none of them will be lost. The Father entrusts the whole flock to the Son. The Son loves the flock sacrificially. This is what we have just read. The Son is attacked but never defeated. The Son will give His life as a ransom for the flock. This is Jesus' ministry. So those who call by... This is what Jesus is able to boast to the Father. Those called by Christ will know Him in a loving and personal relationship. I call them each by name. And they hear my voice and they know my voice. It's a personal relationship of affection. Those who grow in Christ will know His Word and His voice. This is protection. This is why discipleship is vital. This is why that it's imperative that we, that, that we love God through worship, that we share His Word uh, with everything that we are, and that we put His Word into practice in our conduct, conversation, character, through missions, and that we make Him known through evangelism. This is why we work together as a body of Christ, because without discipleship, you'll fall for anything. Know His voice by hearing His voice through the pages of His Word. Those saved by Christ will be defended by Christ. And all that the Father entrusts to Christ, He Himself will bring home. Being confident in this, Paul tells us, that He who has begun the good work in you, He will draw it to completion. It's another Baptist verse. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So he's setting up this image of a receiving hand and a giving hand. Cupped together. So no, for those of my free will Baptist brethren, you can't jump out. The Father's hand is on top of you too. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one, not even you can snatch yourself out of your father's head. Why would you want to in the first place? And here is the sum of it all. They didn't understand what he was saying. There are theologians today that really grapple with this, that don't understand it. Nevertheless, this is the voice of Christ himself. A very simple, short sentence with a very profound truth. I and the Father are one. This is why denying the name of the only begotten Son of God 
It's not something you want to do. This is why they stand condemned already. Because the name of the only begotten Son of God is the name of God. The name Yeshua. The name that means literally Savior. I and the Father are one. This is what Jesus is telling us. Who is our shepherd? Who is it that calls each and every one of us by name? Who is it that leads us into green pastures? Who leads us beside the still waters? Whose rod and his staff is our comfort? Who sets the table before us in the presence of our enemies? It is the Father himself. It is God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The identity of the shepherd. Christ is our shepherd. The one who lays his life for us. He's basically, through all of the passages that I've just read through, the entirety of John chapter 10. This is a commentary on something that Isaiah wrote earlier in the Old Testament. Surely he has, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him to be punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our what? Iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. I am the good shepherd. I give my life for my sheep. But I take it up again. As we enter into the Easter season, Let's remember everything that was given for us. The love, the profound suffering, and the unimaginable grace that comes to us for the very simple reason that God loved us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Holy Week is coming. The final week of Jesus' life, at least of his earthly ministry. And he's trying to declare to unbelievers what that ministry is in language they can understand, and yet because of their hard-heartedness, they did not get it. Very soon he will enter the gates of Jerusalem again. Right now it's in the springtime, later on, I mean, right now it's in the wintertime, soon it will be spring. And he will enter into the king's gate, fulfill a whole host of prophecies, be lauded, shouted, celebrated, hailed as the King of kings and Lord of lords, for one day, the very next, as the week progresses, one of his own would betray him. Jesus himself would actually give the order, what you must do, do quickly. The garden 
The soldiers from the temple would be searching out for him. But Jesus himself, after shedding tears of blood, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass by me, but not my will, but thine be done. And after getting up, after seeing his closest friends asleep on their, on their guard, he sees the temple. He sees their soldiers. They're still looking for him by torchlight. He gets up and he goes to them and says, Who seekest thou? He is brought before three illegal trials. Each and every time someone has dug up false witnesses to claim that he's a blasphemer, to claim that he's a rebel rouser, to claim that he's a political subvert. And each, each time, just as a sheep before the shearers, he holds his mouth, he holds his tongue. Just as Isaiah predicted. Finally, before the big event, The Roman governor, still trying to maintain the peace, still trying to find a way to let this good man go, he sees Jesus as innocent. He offers him, he, he knows that he was popular just a few days ago. They were waving palm branches. They were shouting, Hosanna Yeshua, Savior, save us. They were lifting their voices in triumph for him just coming into the city. So he tries political trickery to get Jesus to go free. Here's Barabbas, a murderer, a thief, a liar, a zealot. A political terrorist. And here's Jesus. The gentle, humble king. Who does the town, who does the city cry out for? We want the terrorist, we want the murderer, we want the liar, we want the thief. We don't want the thing of God, we want the thing of earth. We don't want the holy, we want the absolute unholy. Have you ever thought about that? This was a choice. We don't want light, we want darkness. We don't want the son of God, we want the son of the enemy. And they took him, they scourged him, the Bible tells us that he was unrecognizable as a man. And they nailed him to a tree. Jesus here says, I want you to know this as we go into Holy Week. Granted, it's still a ways away. But because we're studying this text today, I want you to bear this in mind. Jesus says that no one takes his life away but he gives it willingly of his own accord, voluntarily going through that shame, that humiliation, that suffering, all for you. That is love. That is a profound love that sees beyond suffering and for the sake of us leads to ever lasting life. And all God's people said,
And Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning to learn more about who you are, may we be emboldened and strengthened to celebrate who you are, to celebrate your grace, you who looked beyond our fault and saw our need, you who held nothing back but allow yourself to suffer something that we cannot even imagine. Help us to be bold in proclaiming your word before a world that doesn't want to hear it. Help us to cry the name of Jesus when the rest of this world wants to shout Barabbas. Help us to see, to crave, to long for the things of the light and to detest and to to call out the things of darkness. Help us to be your mouthpiece, to be your messengers before our neighbors and before this world, to bring them to you before it is everlastingly too late. And if there is any within the sound of my voice that have yet to come to know you for this sacrifice, to come to know you for this love, if there are any that would be free from the burden of sin, if there are any that would be free from the, the pain of death, I beg that you would trouble their heart and to bring them forward so they might receive the fullness of your embrace now before it is everlastingly too late. Inspire that person and trouble their heart, Lord. Bring them forward now so they might welcome the touch of the Master's hands. Use this time of invitation to remove these burdens, to settle the questions, to make those who bear sin whole, and to leave here confident and celebrating the God who loves them. For it is in the matchless name of Christ we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person. To contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.